And if you apply those types of statements, those absolute types of statements on your relationship, then it removes your ability to love unconditionally. Because you set conditions on your love. All of those statements are conditions. And your love doesn't have conditions, right? So you need to take a step back, reevaluate some of these beliefs, and step into some more empowering beliefs. This is Divine Marriage, the podcast where we study what the healthiest, most successful couples in this world think and do. And we use this knowledge to help you stop enduring your marriage and start enjoying it. So linguistically, there are a lot of really interesting things that we do to train our mind constantly. We use language and we use other things to train our subconscious mind to make sense of the world around us. That can be a good thing. In fact, that can be a great thing. The problem is we don't always do this consciously. And so sometimes when we're talking about life, we can train some faulty beliefs into our minds, specifically around your marriage and your language, the way you talk about your marriage can really betray what are those deeper beliefs that you have going on. And we're going to talk about five toxic thoughts or beliefs that we use. Now, some of these patterns are kind of interesting that we're going to talk about. Different things that you might notice is that uh, when it comes to training your mind, training your brain, we tend to use very broad statements that might sound very important, but don't really mean a lot. And that's important because it trains your brain on a lot of things all at once. It kind of says, this is the model of reality. This is the way that our marriage works. And, and the problem with that really is that if your reality isn't fitting to your beliefs, it's not going according to your belief system, you feel like everything is wrong in your life. When it's not your reality that's wrong, it's your belief system that is failing you and that needs altered. So today we want to talk about these beliefs that we see people hold in their marriage that are wreaking havoc in their marriage. We're calling this five toxic thoughts that are hurting your marriage. And then we're going to take those beliefs and we're going to flip it around and say, what might you believe instead? What are some other ways that you can take more ownership and train your mind more productively around your marriage? So the first one is the thought and belief, you need to meet my needs. That when we get married, we expect that our partner needs to meet our needs. And consider for a second how this could be toxic. You're saying you need to meet my needs. One of the reasons that makes that toxic is because it gives away all of your control over the situation. It gives away all of your ability to affect your marriage. It's saying that your happiness isn't dependent on yourself. It's not dependent on how much you're working on yourself and how much you're contributing. It's all dependent on this external factor, whatever your spouse is doing. Your spouse needs to meet your needs. Now, and I really think we come by this belief honestly, because when we're little, we are dependent on our parents or whoever's our guardians are to take care of us. And they literally do have to meet our needs for our survival. But when we grow up and we become a little more independent, think about when you moved to college, you were expected to meet your own needs. Do you remember when you had to go buy toilet paper for the first time and you're like, oh, I have to buy this for myself now. And you were okay with that because that was the expectation you held. I'm on my own. I'm independent. I need to make, meet my own needs. And then for some reason, when we get married, we're back in this family unit. And so we can fall back onto those old programs of, oh, this other person that I'm living with, now it's their responsibility to meet my needs. And if I'm not happy, it's because they're failing me in some way. Now, the most attractive thing that you can do in your marriage is to be emotionally self-sufficient, to be able to take care of your own needs. That is attractive. 
And that makes it so that when your spouse does something for you or when you do something for them, it is a kind gesture. It is does have meaning behind it as opposed to an obligation type relationship. And the problem with this is you know your needs better than anyone else. And even when you communicate your needs to someone else, they might not fulfill it up to your expectations. If you ask your spouse, hey, it would be nice if you could do the dishes tonight and you make that request of them, we're all about making requests of your spouse, but not these expectations because those lead to frustration. But if you make that request, your spouse is going to do the dishes the way they do the dishes. And you can't make that request and have them do that and then suddenly feel like, no, you did it wrong. That's not how you're supposed to do that. And if you are particular about the dishes and you need them done a certain way and that's a need for you, then maybe you should meet that need. Exactly. So Julie just hit on something gold. And let's take a step back real quick and look at this phrase. You need to meet my needs. One of the things that's wrong with this is that it presupposes that your spouse is a mind reader, that they know what your needs are. They don't. They might have a pretty good idea of it, but we do this linguistically all the time where we suppose that they can read our minds and we can read theirs. We're really bad at this. Now, if you were to take this phrase and make one simple switch from you need to meet my needs to I need to meet my needs, do you hear the difference in that? Does it feel different? It should feel a little different. It feels like ownership. It feels real. It feels true because it is true. And it's in your control, which always feels better. I was on a coaching call the other day and I loved this lady. She was, she was frustrated because it was her birthday. Her birthday was coming up and she just felt like nobody's going to remember me. Nobody's going to celebrate me. And the coach told her, you need to celebrate you. It's your job on your birthday exactly. to celebrate you. And I realized that I actually do this with my own birthday. When my birthday is coming up, I'm excited about my birthday and I tell people about it. I say, Hey, it's my birthday on this day. Um, let's go do something. Hey, babe, let's, can you plan a date for that night? Like I don't expect him to remember it and plan it and do the things that I want to do for my birthday. I communicate that to him and I make sure that I get to have fun. I even buy balloons for myself sometimes on my birthday because I'm responsible for how I feel on my birthday and celebrating myself. And I can invite others to join in on that. But if I just wait around for someone else to throw me the party that I want without even asking for it, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. And that's what we do in our marriage when we expect our spouse to meet our needs. So we need to flip that around. I need to meet my needs. All of these things, all these things that we're talking about together, what we're really doing is taking this phrase, switching it to a positive psychology, switching it to a ownership mentality so that you can take control and keep the ball in your court and also open up your heart to receive because it feels a lot better when your spouse does something just for the heck of it. Let's go to the next one. The next belief is we both give 50%. This is something that I used to hear a lot and still do sometimes is this belief that in marriage, both partners should give 50%. It's a 50-50 effort. Now, Again, it's presupposing a lot of things. And what kind of happens eventually with this mindset is it turns into a scorekeeping thing or a tit for tap. You know, it sounds like a really nice thing. I give 50%, she gives 50%, but ultimately it turns sour. And I think this idea of 50% is we want equality in our marriage. And so we think, well, okay, I do 50% of the work and he does 50% of the work. And we try to divide tasks equally. But that's not equality in marriage. 
marriage is not giving equal percent of work. It's valuing both of each other's contributions and valuing the fact that you both have a say and an opinion on those contributions, what they are and who does what and when they do it and doing it according to each other's strengths and making space for those unique abilities that you each have. And when you're not in that tip for tap keeping points, then you can just appreciate when the other person shows up rather than thinking, I washed the dishes last night. I guess I'm thinking about dishes today, guys, but I washed the dishes <laughs> last night. So he needs to be washing them tonight. But what if he has a meeting that night and it's just not realistic for him to wash the dishes that night? then you might be doing the dishes, just resenting the fact that it's his turn rather than pitching in together as a team, because this is a team contribution. It's teamwork. So the empowering way to turn this around is to say, I give a hundred percent on my good days. I give a hundred percent of myself on my bad days. I give a hundred percent of myself. And sometimes my hundred percent on a bad day is different than my hundred percent on a good day. And that's yeah, okay. But I show up because I'm a I part of this up. team and I'm looking out for the team. I'm not looking out just for myself, but for the team. With our marriage, I try to give a hundred percent, right? That's my goal. And I also recognize that I'm not a mind reader. Okay. I don't know. Obviously I can't know if my wife is giving a hundred percent or 20% or, or who cares, you know, but what I can do, what I choose to believe is that she is. And I make space for Julie to give her 100%, whatever that looks like in that day. She's pregnant right now. And sometimes her 100% really wipes her out pretty quick, you know, because she's growing a full human body. And so giving space for her to give her 100% in the way that she can, however that looks like, is really powerful. I make space for my spouse. But really what I focus on is how much can I give, not how much are they giving. It's not a tit for tat. So let's move on. Belief number three. This is another one that sounds really pretty. It sounds really nice that you hear all the time is that good marriages, they're always on the same page. We need to be on the same page. And if you're to pick that apart linguistically, it's just not true. Yeah. This shows up a lot in the areas of like financial budgeting or especially in parenting your children. How are we going to raise them? We need to be on the same page and how we show up. And it's just not true. If you wanted to be on the same page in your relationship, you would marry yourself. That's yeah. a great way to be on the same page, but you're not going to do that. That would be boring by having these differences of opinion, these different ways of seeing the world, which of course you're going to do because you're unique individuals. You add contrast and beauty and strength and difference of perspective to your life that make your life. It makes your life just so much more rich when you can allow for the, that contrast and those differences. And if you show up into a conversation and you're no longer trying to convince your spouse to change their point of view to your point of view, but you're just trying to understand your spouse. I promise you, your relationship will be so much richer and meaningful. Now, when you think about this page, what I, or this, uh, this phrase, we need to be on the same page. I want you to take a step back now and think about a time when you're not on the same page. It could be something that you know, that you don't like even, even a situation that kind of gets you upset when think about your spouse being on a different page than you in your marriage and consider how is that, if you were to know, how could that be a good thing that they're not on the same page? Does it bring balance into your marriage that otherwise wouldn't be there? Do they have unique strengths that are shining through on their different opinion than yours? 
something that you can learn from. Just lean into that curiosity. Just really look at that. Because like Julie said, in our own theology and in a lot of different uh, belief systems in the world, they have baked in this belief that there is beauty in the contrast, that there is importance, that there's this yin-yang balance, this masculine, uh, divine masculinity and divine femininity. They're different, but they bring unique strengths. And how are both of you bringing unique strengths? You know, you step back and you realize and what your spouse believes and how it's adding value to your life. And then you can have more grace for them. You can have more openness to learn from them. And really, if you take this belief, we need to be on the same page and flip it around. Like <laughs> what it flips around to is I need to be on the same page with myself. I need to show up with integrity about what I believe. And I need to be open to what they believe because it's all good and it all can add value. Now, the problem is the conflict that arises, that you guys aren't willing to work through it and to come together and learn from each other. That's where it's a problem. It's the finger pointing. It's not the different page. Being on a different page is, is actually, that's a sexy thing. That's important. That's uh, adds so much value and beauty to your relationship. But not being able to work it out, that's where you need to grow into your emotional maturity a little bit and learn to talk. Thought number four is if my spouse loves me, then they'll agree with me. Now, this belief is an if-then statement, right? And it presupposes that if this is the case, then this will always be the case. It does some weird things to us emotionally, and it puts a lot of pressure on the other person. What we're really talking about here is validation. Like, you know, when you're with a group of people and you're telling them, you know, maybe something frustrating happened the day before and you feel like somebody mistreated you. And so you, you let them have it and you told them, and then you want to tell everyone the story. I'm like, here's what I said to them. Like, was this okay? Was I right to say this? And when people say, oh yeah, like they, that, they should not have said that to you. You were right to stand up for yourself. We feel validated. We feel seen. We feel good about ourselves. And in marriage, sometimes we have this idea that our spouse should always agree with us. And if they really love us, then they'll validate me because that makes me feel seen. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy and loved inside. But that's not, that does not equate to love. Agreeing with someone and validating them again means I share your opinion, but that doesn't mean, Hey, I love you. And sometimes we equate that in marriage. And so we get in trouble when our spouse has a different opinion than us. And we can start to feel like, wait a second, you don't agree with me about this? Like we're not connecting like we used to. And we make it mean something about our marriage that it just doesn't mean. And in fact, intimacy is not validation. Intimacy is truly knowing your spouse, knowing their mind, knowing their heart. And so if you want to open up room for intimacy in your relationship, for that love to really foster and grow, then you need to hold space for their spout, your spouse to be who they are and not trying to manipulate them to agree with you or to validate you all the time, which of course that feels nice sometimes and we do need that sometimes, but allowing them to just have a different opinion than you sometimes. Exactly, and oftentimes what we are seeking is validation, but validation comes from within. That's a personal thing. If I love myself, then I'll agree with me. You know, if I take that, if my spouse loves me, then they'll agree with me, turn it around, turn it on its head. If I love myself, then I'll agree with me. What do I need to do? What do I really need to do is give myself permission to feel what I need to feel, give myself permission to think what I think and be okay with that. 
And when you have your own back, it's not threatening to you if your spouse disagrees with you. Exactly. We could be in a conversation. I could be telling a story with friends. And then my and then Jules comes in and says, that's not how it happened. I'm not going to get up in arms because I recognize that we both have two sets of eyes. And, and two different experiences. Two different experiences. Curiosity into what they're saying, asking them questions. That leads to real intimacy, trying to get to know them better. Validation is, uh, if you're seeking validation, that's a parent-child type of relationship. It really comes from yourself. So the fifth and final thing we want to talk about is this belief that divorce is never an option. You're going to hear this a lot in uh, especially, well, we hear it a lot in, in Christian, different Christian religions, different Christian faiths, where this is kind of baked into the family. It's baked into your belief system that divorce is never an option. And the fact of the matter is that that's simply not true. And your subconscious mind will call bull on that belief because it looks around and it sees so many people who have had that belief who do end up divorced. So is it true? Is it, no, it's not really true. Divorce is an option, but what's powerful is that you own your choice, that every single day you choose to be here. You choose your marriage. You choose the future that you want together. You focus more on where you want to go, not on where you don't want to go. And you're able to build a beautiful life together. Owning that choice is so important in your marriage because if you hold the belief divorce is never an option and you're hurting in your marriage, rather than fighting for a better version of your marriage, you might just feel like, well, I'm stuck. And suddenly you're the victim of your own choice to stay in this marriage because you're not realizing that you are making a choice because you took that choice away from yourself. So by remembering that divorce is an option, it's not that we're wanting you to consider divorce, but it is allowing you this opportunity to think, is this a marriage I want to stay in? Is this a marriage I want to fight for? Because if you're staying in your marriage, you need to ask why. And then you need to own that choice that you're choosing to stay, that you're not a victim of this choice and that you can give it your best. That if you're hurting somewhere, address that hurt, communicate, find help, and you can make it better. Here's a hint for you if you're thinking about... um thinking about this and thinking about, do I really want to be here? Well, if you're still in your marriage, then the answer is yes. Yeah. Because if you didn't want to be there, you wouldn't be. And if that, if the pain of uh, staying was greater than the pain of leaving, then you'd be gone. So own that choice. That's yours. You're making it every day and you're choosing to be here. And that's a beautiful thing. And you can choose it for any reason. It's your choice. It could be because you want things to be better and you love your spouse and you have hope for improvement. It could be because you have children and you think that's what's best for your children now. Now, whatever your reason to stay is, just own that it's your choice and you get to decide on the reason because it's yours. Now, we've talked about a lot of different beliefs today, specifically these five. And we've talked about linguistically what's going on is that they are absolute statements. We've talked about all or nothing statements. We've talked about if then statements. We've talked about these kind of double binds where it's this or that, or if this happens, then that always happens. And the problem with this, right, is that those statements are so powerful when it comes to training your mind. And if you apply those types of statements, those absolute types of statements on your relationship, then it removes your ability to love unconditionally. Because you set conditions on your love. All of those statements are conditions. 
and your love doesn't have conditions, right? So you need to take a step back, reevaluate some of these beliefs and step into some more empowering beliefs that are taking, taking more ownership over your own life and allowing for more curiosity about what's going on in your spouse's heart, giving them space to experience life the way they need to experiencing it. What's beauty about this, what's beautiful about this is it's scary. It's scary to say, I'm going to give space for my spouse to live the way that she needs to live. I'm going to just choose to trust her, you know, and choose that, you know, what she's doing, she's doing for a reason. It can be scary. And I see a lot of couples who think that if, well, if I choose to believe that divorce is an option, then that'll open up. Or if I choose to believe something different than one of these all or nothing statements, then things will just fall apart. But that's okay because your marriage requires faith. It's saying, I believe something good is going to come, even though I can't control you. I can't control what's going on in your heart, but I trust you and I believe in you. And ultimately, that's so much more empowering. Ultimately, you both become such better people and you learn from each other so much more than you ever would have if you were binding yourself down to one of these all or nothing statements. And I just love this idea of unconditional love. I really think that is why marriage is such a beautiful relationship because that's where we refine our ability to love each other unconditionally. It's a people growing process. It grows us. It stretches us. It strengthens us. It magnifies us. Like no wonder this is a celestial covenant in our theology that it helps condition us to become like heavenly father because it does require a lot of us, but it gives us so much in return. All of these gifts that we cultivate along the way that we wouldn't otherwise have. And it gives us a partner who is a witness to our life and a witness of our growth and our frailties and our humanness and our strength, all of those things that we get to share this journey in with them. We love making these podcasts. We want to keep doing it. And the way that we know that you love it too, and that we're adding value to your life is a couple of ways. The number one way is the number of people that are listening to this podcast. So if you love this, text a link to a friend, someone who might need it today. We love you guys. We love them. We want everyone to hear this stuff. The second way that really helps is by downloading the free resource, 13 things to give up to stop presenting your spouse. I'll put the link in the description. Uh, go ahead and click to download that. We hope you have a great day and got something awesome out of this. Coaching changed our marriage. And we've seen it help others heal past trauma and reconnect with their spouse. But is it right for you? Try it out today at divinemarriage.mailchimpsites.com.